It's the Asian Boxing Podcast. Asianboxing.info is the website. Thank you for making us a part of your day, wherever you may be. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Coming up to Christmas, the best time of the year. So this is Christmas. What have you done? What what have you been doing? Really angling Father Christmas. I think Santa's going to bring me a piece of coal and I'll be about it. Uh-oh. Well, you bet no. You better you better get on the good list so he can bring you a lot of chocolate and alcohol and good boxing, hopefully. Is that all you want for Christmas? That's a pretty simple list. Yeah, as a boxing fan, we know it's never that simple. You know, actually that it's a little harder for Santa to pull off. He was probably uh trying to pull that off this year at the end of the year. We know, of course, there was a lot of cancellations. There was a lot of uh, bad matchups, but the past couple of weeks we saw some decent boxing. I would say, let's start off. Let, let's let's jump back a week ago to to where we saw you know some decent fighters. Let's start with Nonito Donaire, who came back and showed why he's still at the top of the bantamweight division. Yeah, defending his title against Countryman Remak Bala, I. I was actually really intended by that fight. I thought it was really interesting how Gabala was really aggressive, really fast, but he looked scared. He looked too respectful of Donaire, and it almost seemed like the ending was... It always felt inevitable that he was going to get caught sooner or later. Um, but credit to him for going for it. Uh, unfortunately, that's not how you beat Donaire. You've really got to get Donaire's respect. I don't think he ever did. It was the, the I respect you because you were my hero syndrome. Gabalo, like you said, grew up a huge fan of Donaire, and it showed because he was like, oh man, it was almost a, a reverence in the ring where I'm going to come out and try and win, but at the same time, I really respect everything that Donaire does, and you can't do that against a fighter like Donaire. Yeah, you've got to respect Donaire's power, but not fight like you're too respectful of it. He's going to catch you sooner or later, but you've got to do what you can to tick to him first, you've got to put him on the back foot and Gabala never really did that he he always seemed to just be a little bit too slowly and not quite do enough to get Donaire's respect and for Donaire he's just, he's still that good I mean we mentioned this in our previous podcasts but everyone talks about oh well Donaire when he was younger he was faster, he was stronger and that's true but I think there's something about him that he is really aged well and he picks his shots well and you know he he doesn't seem like he's in a rush ever in the ring anymore and doesn't rely on that one punch knockout and I think it's almost made him a better fighter to a certain extent yeah I'm not sure I think he's probably stronger now physically than he's ever been and I think that's the scary thing it's like that old man strength um but the speeds come down the like you said, it almost looks like he's not rushed. It almost looks like he's he sees an extra second that great great fighters do. Um, he picks the shots so well. He counters so well. He lures opponents in so well. And even at the age of 39, it looks like he's going to take a very special fight to dethrone him. I think it would be safe to say that if Donaire just stayed at Bantamweight, never went up, I, would he have ever lost? I, I think he... <laughs> He just looks so strong at Bantamweight. Yeah, I think there's only one man who would have beaten him at Bantamweight all last decade. And even then, uh, he gave him a good run for his money. Yeah. Oh, and he did. We'll talk about that man 
a little bit later because he had a he had a fight. I, I wouldn't say it was an interesting one, but he had a fight, all right. Uh, before we get to that man, the monster, let's talk about Casimero. And I don't even know if we want to talk about him, give him the time on our podcast, but he was supposed to fight against Paul Butler. That did not happen. No, he pulled out with, I believe, gastronitis uh, about two days before the fight. And then Paul Butler's went to first, 59-year-old Joseph Agbeko. And decided he didn't want that fight. So what an <laughs> absolute mess do we be all got themselves in. Had he stripped Casemiro, like, he probably should have done. Or made him champion in recess and vacate the title. Uh, we would have had the Paul Butler versus Agbeko fight that nobody wants. Instead, we're in the position where we really don't know what the hell's happening with that title. Um, it's going to push any potential unification with Casemiro six months down the road. And uh, If Paul Butler ends up with the title, he could have had that this weekend. He could have just beaten Beko when the interim got graded. It's, what a mess. Um, Butler doesn't deserve a shot. Beko doesn't deserve a shot. Casemiro doesn't deserve to be the champion. What a mess for the uh, title scene for the WBO. I have a suggestion. You make Donaire Inoue and you just put that belt, throw that belt in there. And, and make that fight for all, all four belts. Do you like that suggestion? I know it's not going to happen, but I think that would make the most sense. I prefer the idea of having Paul Butler versus Noye Inoue in Liverpool. Bring Inoue back over here and let's see him smash Butler. And then have the the Denair fight. Well, I mean, that that's a selfish uh, suggestion because you would just want to go watch him. It is, but it's also worth a new to fight three times because Butler's not going to do anything to him. He's going to be able to beat Butler two weeks later back in the ring with dinner. I like that idea. There you go. Yeah, a couple couple weeks and you're back in the ring against uh, the second most dangerous bantamweight in the division. Exactly. Great. You're going to have Butler as a tune-up just as a public sparring session, an execution session, in fact. Well, speaking of that... Uh, we kind of had that <laughs> in Japan. Naoya Inoue um, had somewhat of a public sparring session. A man that had no business being in with him. And uh, Depian or Depian or however you want to say his name. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm butchering it. But uh, yeah, that was that was a fight that I could have done without. Yeah, it's a fight you could have done without, but... Unfortunately, when you have Casemiro doing Casemiro things, Daener and Gabala taking care of each other, uh, Rashi Warren and one of the Russell brothers and Potapov all saying no, it's better to see a guy fight than not fight. Likewise, if you face a butler, I'm not going to complain too much as long as he's out there and staying active. Uh, Dippian, to his credit, and we've got to be fair here, he took a real ass whooping. He was incredibly tough, but. Yeah, non-competitive, easy, easy win for anywhere, and fingers crossed we see something big for him next year. You're right, though. I, I, I think I'm being a little harsh on Depayan because he's one tough son of a gun. Uh, I did not expect him to last eight rounds, and, and I, I think a lesser man would have gone down after one of those nasty body shots that I know I gave him. So he, you, you could tell that he came in shape. He came prepared. It's just he did not have the tools to beat Inoue. No, but then again, who does? 118 pounds, I don't think anyone does. At least he gave it an effort. He didn't do what Das Marinas did and just basically go, uh-huh, I don't want to be here. He didn't do what um, 
Jamie McDonald did. Jamie McDonald, former world champion, just didn't look like he wanted to be there. Depayan at least fought like a man who had some self-belief for a round or two. I would say there's one guy, one guy who I would give a shot at beating Noe, and that's Donaire because he's hurt him before, albeit Noe had the cut over the eye. He was seeing double. Uh, I would say Donaire is the one guy who would give him a run for his money. Now, for Inoue, is he going to fight three times next year? Are we going to see the Donaire matchup? Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Scott? The plan is for him to face Donaire or Casimero in spring. Um, given Casimero's situation, I think it's got to be Donaire. And spring is the is the uh, timeline they're aiming for. But again, the world with COVID, anything could happen. That's the frustrating part, but I hope we see it. And I know Inoue said if. If we can make a unification fight, I might just jump up to 122. And that makes some sense, too, because there are a lot of good fights to be made at 122. I know how U.S. fans really focus on welterweight, light middleweight, middleweight. But 122 is arguably the best division in the sport right now. Uh, Fulton, Figueroa, Daliev, Hovhannisian, Rios, Roman, Leo, Alim, Castro. It is a brilliant, brilliant division and. Anyway, if you face any of the top 15 there, we'd at least be in for a good fight. At Bantamweight, we know that they're, the top guys all would make good fights. Um, but there's a steep drop-off, I think, after the top three. That's not the same case when you look at 122. And it, we even saw in the Figueroa-Fulton fight how closely matched they were. So that is the division that I would love to see Inoue at. So he could really challenge himself because I, I think other than Donaire, he's not going to get challenged at 118. Yeah, I think the problem at 122 is there isn't really a standout name there. There's no big catch cow. There is no Donaire. There is no Casemiro. Fulton, Figueroa, and Armadale are fantastic fighters, but none of them have that sort of A star name. Um, Fulton, really good fun to watch. One of the best fighters on the planet to watch, but I still think he's perhaps a bit under, unknown um, outside of the hardcore fans, and that's a real shame. Well, I think Inoue could make a lot of noise at 1-2-2. Yeah, I mean, as good as Fulton is, as good as Figueroa is, they're not the biggest punchers, and I think Inoue's power would carry to 122. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast, Scott and Colin. Um, that same weekend, well, I know Inoue was on Tuesday, but the Donaire Casimero weekend, uh, we also got to see a, a couple of other Asian fighters fight for their title Dimitri Bevel who's been so frustrating to watch he turned in another clunker of a fight I obviously dominated but it's just frustrating I think for a, a guy as talented as Bevel yeah he showed glimpses of it especially in I think it's believe uh, round nine he showed glimpses of that absolute skill that potential that superstar appeal but all too often he's just happy to make Solomon pay for making mistakes it wasn't a showcase it wasn't exciting for the most part. Um, thankfully, it was better than his fight with Craig Richards and Lennon Castillo. But again, you just feel there's so much more that he can give. And he's so frustrating, but so talented at the same time. An absolute nightmare to fight, but a nightmare to watch at times. There is talk of unification, better beat of uh, Joe Smith. I, I would love to see Bevel in against either one of those fighters. 
I'd love to see him with Paterbiev. I am he has already beat Smith, so it's not like that feels like going over a lot of ground, even though it'd be a be a unification. But I think Paterbiev versus Bivol is the fight in the division. Better beat of is an absolute monster, though. I, I as much as I love Bivol, I don't know who lasts with a guy like Better Beat of. He he really uh he really goes in there and, and just drains his opponent, I think, of everything. Yeah, I think that's why that fight interests me more than the other one. I think Smith can be outboxed quite easily, um, although he's very dangerous. I don't know if he can do that for 12 rounds against Paterbiev. He, uh, he's just an absolute monster. He's a beast. He's a bear. He's a, a threat to anyone at 175 pounds. He looks like a bear. Doesn't he fight bears in Russia? <laughs> and maybe they've taken bear DNA, human DNA, and made Paterbiev. Who, I think it's a shame that he's not going to move up to Cruiserweight because I think he could be a, an absolute nightmare there as well. well I think he should. Uh, I, he's been at 175 for a long time, but in the Olympics he was a heavyweight. So Cruiserweight would make sense. I think he'd be a fun guy to watch that against like Vakoli and um, Gawatsi, Hook, Makabu, Mishunu, Abredis. I think he'd fit in really well with that sort of that level of talent and uh, his options stay at my heavyweight at Bevel or Smith. Maybe Hamifuk wouldn't be a bad way to end his career. Now I know we're jumping all around here, but uh, as much as we talked about Bevel, I totally forgot to mention on the undercard or the co-main event of the uh, Inoue fight, which was on pay-per-view. We had Tanaguchi versus Mendez and a title fight in which, I think a lot of people probably had Mendez slightly favored. Uh, that wasn't the outcome, though, Scott. Mendez was indeed the betting favorite as well. But no, I, Taniguchi put in the, career, uh, the performance of his career. And the problem is we always knew he had that level of performance in him. He's always shown that extra ability, just never been able to get over the line with his losses to Saludar, Cora, and Ria Kanishi. He's lost to top guys, but he's always shown that potential that he has got the ability. Um, and he shot it here. He beat up Mendez, finished him in style in round 11, really, really took him apart. He bossed the belt for the most part and took Mendez's main tools away from him. He took Mendez's jab and movement away and left Mendez needing to fight the wrong fight. I guess he was also really helped by the fact that Mendez hadn't fought in well over a year. He hadn't fought in since February 2020. And I do wonder if uh, 22 months out of the ring really cost a guy like Mendes, who relies on speed, timing, jab, movement. He just didn't look himself. And Taniguchi made him pair. And, of course, Mendes having to come over to Japan. Maybe that presented a... It did, I'm sure, present a challenge to the champ. But, yeah, huge win for Taniguchi. Um, didn't leave it to the judges. Takes out Mendes via TKO. Uh, for Tanaguchi, he has the strap now. Do you, do you see him trying to unify? Do you see him defending it? What What's next for Tanaguchi? I'd imagine he'd be defending it. Um, Watanabe Jim really needed something to sort of boost them. And I think this win's fantastic for them. It's fantastic for him. I wouldn't be surprised to see him face one like Melvin Jerusalem or um, Pedro Tadurin. Uh, maybe in a rematch with Subasakora. That's the sort of guys in the division that he's like to be facing. It's just a shame he's stable mates with Ginji Roshigioka because that would have been such a great fight. 
Well, it's funny because on that same day, uh, there was another minimum weight title fight between knockout CP Freshmart and Robert Paradero. This was the best fight from the bunch of world title fights that day. This is just crazy. Paradero came out like a man who had been snotting cocaine. <laughs> really, really, really aggressive start from him. Uh, but, yeah, the way he fought wasn't conducive to a long bout, and he exhausted himself by round four. Smacked knockout when he was down in round four after a push. It was just crazy. And then he got knocked out in one of the weirdest knockouts I remember seeing this year. And he was tagged and then got up, stumbled all over the place. Very odd finish. Very entertaining five-round bout. And... Probably the best knockout bout in well, perhaps his entire career. It's one that is really worth watching. Very, very entertaining. The minimum weight uh, title won again by knockout CP Freshmart. Maybe uh, he and Taniguchi can can mix it up a little bit. How about that? I wouldn't complain about that. I see um, Shigeyaka being more likely to first knockout than Taniguchi, I think, for... The Watanabe Gym, who promote both Taniguchi and Shigeoka. It makes more sense to have two champions than to have a unified champion, but yeah, uh, no problem with either fight. I think they'd both be great. Um, the middleweight division is a bit frustrating right now because there isn't really too many really fun fights to watch. And I think when you get a guy like knockout, you, he looks a very beatable champion, in fairness. And hopefully we do see him dethroned sooner rather than later. All right, so we covered uh, a lot of the boxing that happened over the past week, and I know we were jumping all around, but basically that was all this past week. Um, we did have a, a very controversial fight uh, on Saturday, uh, Majumov versus Soro. Was this Saturday or Friday? I'm getting my days all mixed up, but Majumov versus Soro, uh, very controversial fight, Scott. Yeah, very controversial about in Friday. Um, definitely Friday. Really, really fun fight as well. Uh, very entertaining. Very exciting through the first nine rounds. Uh, well, let's say the first eight rounds. Um, it swung both ways. Madrimov had a good start. Sora came back into it. Then we saw Madrimov almost fighting Sora's fight and getting the better of it. And then absolute craziness in round nine when Madrimov hurt Sora, then finished him when the bell was ringing or... After the bell was ringing, or yeah, the bell rung. I mean, it was, it was, it rang, and it was like, all right, let let me just finish this guy off. You know, uh, I I guess that would work every time. And their feet just stood there watching whilst the shots came in. Odd finish, even odder that they actually didn't seem to know what to do either. It's like they took ten minutes to decide what the outcome should be, and then the announcer going, "Does everybody want to know who won?" <laughs> Yes, we'd like to know who won, but if you're saying that, we already know who won. <laughs> we saw it, man. Either it's going to be scored a knockout for Majimov in no contest, which the announcer obviously gave away it wasn't going to be the case, or perhaps the right decision would to go to the scorecards on an accidental foul rule, but we didn't do that either. We went to a, a Majimov TKO win. Very odd. And one of those examples where you kind of wonder what the referee was thinking and what the local commission is supposed to do in a situation like that. Uh, you have to wonder if the referee was was awake. Uh, he looked uh, like asleep at the wheel. The worst thing is it's the second time something weird has happened in three fights for Madrimov because he had that weird knockout, not knockout against Eric Walker as well. 
I think he did say that he was happy to face Sora in a rematch, and that's the right thing to do. But let's not have Salvador Salva being the referee again because that was a horrible, horrible mess he, he created. It is the Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin. That was on Friday. Now I have my days straight because a couple days later on Sunday in Japan, Tetsuro Ohashi, he challenged Ryosuke Nishida for his World Boxing Asia Pacific Bantamweight title. He did indeed. And it's the same Nishida that took the title from Diego Higa. And one of the, the really underrated wins of the year, I think. Um, he he beat the snarl of Higa back in April. And he has all the potential to become another player in the Bantamweight division. Against Ohashi, he's facing on very similar to himself. So it wasn't the greatest performance, but he still dominated throughout. He took a wide decision. And to be fair, it just showed that Nishida, perhaps for all his talent, doesn't have that killer instinct. He lacks that power. Um, but he is such a talent, and Ohashi retested him in a different way to everybody else. Ohashi came in there to box him and had some success, but not enough to take any rounds. And it was it was a good win, but it felt like a step down after beating Higa and Shohei Omari in his previous two. And hopefully, Nishida faces someone a bit more notable next time out. You look at his first four fights. And you, you're like, you beat Higa and Amori, but then you, you fight Ohashi in your next fight. So it was a little, like you said, it was a little letdown. But obviously, 5-0, and oh, and while he doesn't have that huge knockout power, he is a real player at the, at the Bantamweight level, at least in Japan. I think it's probably fair to say that in the next two to three years, he'll be a real player on the major scene. He's no further behind the likes of Ukash Farouk and Lee McGregor from the UK. I I wouldn't mind seeing him thrown in with someone like Juan Carlos Piano or uh, Jonas Sultan. I think he has the skills to beat them. Um, so yeah, he's very, very talented. We've seen fighters get to the top of the division without having power. Rashi Warren did pretty well without power. Um, yeah, again, just after fight fights, he's already in the sort of top 25, top 20. Fingers crossed he faces an international opponent next year and shows what he can do. Scott, some news came down the pipe earlier today. WBO, who is a mess at the Bantamweight division, but <laughs> at the middleweight division, Demetrius Andrade Boo Boo. Uh, they announced that he needs to make his mandatory defense of the title against Janebek. And I can't pronounce his last name. <laughs> Yeah, they announced this one at the end of November that the two teams were given a negotiation period and today they announced that first bids were due on January 14th uh, after having extended it, I think, twice and just got fed up with weighing. Um, the rumour is now that Andrade is going to actually vacate and move up in weight, which would be a massive shame. Um, but it'd be yet another example of Andrade taking a decision that perhaps doesn't show that he's really serious about his career. His competition when he gets voluntary fights has been terrible. Um, as we saw when he faced Jason Quigley. And now he's got a real tough opponent and it seems like he doesn't want to actually face him. Again, the guy's shooting himself in the foot. <laughs> Such is boxing. For Alan Kainuli, if Andrade does vacate, he'll probably face Esquiva Falcao. Uh, two top-ranked fighters fighting for a vacant title. Well, we've never seen that before. <laughs> so, basically what we're saying is Boo Boo is scared of Janibak. Boo Boo 
likes to make mistakes with his career. They've done him no good. Um, giving up a title here is just, yeah, it seems a stupid decision. But hey, if it goes ahead, like we all hope it does, it will be a really, really good one. And it's one that I'm looking forward to. I got my fingers and toes crossed that we do see it happen. Janabek was was calling out Boo Boo on, on the old Twitter. He's been calling out since 2019. Hey, that that's how you have to do it, I think, now, right? It's it's the age of social media. So we see all the fighters doing it, and uh, if you really want to fight, go and make it. And I think Janabek at least is close to to making it, although I guess now Boo Boo says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move up. It's interesting to see a guy call out a, a champion for two years and then make his way into the mandatory position. You should just call each other out and not do anything with Alcantara is actively chased that fight, and credit to him for it, especially when the man he's chasing is supposed to the uh, supposedly the most avoided man in boxing. Ooh, but he's not. He's avoiding somebody. So how can he be the most avoided? Alcantara is the most avoided. Maybe he is. He's a dangerous man. Dangerous Kazakh lefty. High risk, absolutely no reward as well. Yeah, I agree with that. Every fight that I've seen him in. It's been one-sided. Well, I mean, I hope that fight gets made because I, I think Demetrius Andrade is very talented and he deserves to go up against a, a worthy opponent. But if you move up, well, that's not a very good move for your career. In fairness to him, he would likely be one of the mandatories for uh, Canelo Alvarez. So that wouldn't be bad. Uh, if you're going to move up, at least move up for the money. Forgot about that. I I thought Canel was going to go fight at cruiserweight for all we knew, right? Uh, but you're right. If you're fighting at 168, you're going to fight Canelo, then that is a smart move. So maybe Boo Boo knows exactly what he's doing. I'd much rather fight uh, for that Canelo Alvarez money than Janibek. No offense to, to Janibek. Uh, one more bit of news, Scott. Uh, Ioka, unfortunately, we know that his bout against Jerwin Ancajas was canceled, but... He found a new opponent, so at least the fight will go on. Yeah, he found a new opponent who's already in Japan. Um, so the border restrictions don't apply, and that is Ryoji Fukunaga, a 35-year-old southpaw who uh, is a triple crown winner in Japan, uh, having been the WBO, Asia Pacific, the OPBF, and the Japanese Super Flyweight Champion. He's scored a couple of notable wins, the likes of Fryland Solidar and Kenta Nakagawa, but he terrible last time out. He was very, very, very lucky to get a win over Hayate Kaji back in October. Um, I personally think that's one of the worst decisions I've seen in Japan in years. Kaji was robbed, and whilst it's nice that Fukunaga said yeah to Ayaka, it isn't likely to be a very competitive fight. Kaji simply outboxed Fukunaga, and I think Ayaka's levels above Kaji, so nice to see Ayaka fight on New Year's Eve. Again, a but this is a mismatch. As long as we're getting a fight, there is something to be happy about. It could be worse. There could be no fight. Exactly. It's a bit like the, the newest situation. I'd rather see him fight than not fight. It's just a shame that the situation hasn't allowed for the big fights that we want. But again, nothing that they could do. It's just the world that we are living in right now. But I know we're going to push through it. We're going to fight through it, Scott. Eventually, those, those big fights will be made. Oh, cancelled. <laughs> well, hopefully they don't get cancelled again. We're gonna we're gonna push through, and hopefully, you know, maybe we could see Murata Triple G somewhere down the line. Fingers crossed. 
Before we go, Scott, this isn't Asian boxing, but we have to talk about the biggest star in the sport, Jake Paul. How about his knockout over the weekend? Not just the biggest name in the sport, one of the biggest names in all of sport right now. What that guy is doing is revolutionizing sport. He is crossing over like never before. Not since Muhammad Ali did we see such a crossover star. So I'm drawing attention to boxing in a way that we just don't see anymore. Uh, and what a brutal knockout it was of Tyron Woodley as well. Absolutely brilliant. I agree with all the things that you said. And yeah, when it's all said and done, when Jake Paul hangs up the gloves, we will be putting him alongside those names. Ali Robinson. No, uh, Fraser. Foreman. Frazier. Dempsey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tyson. Hagler. Hearns. Uh, the list will go on and on. But Jake Paul, he has already etched his name on that list. And uh, he's, a, he's a brilliant, brilliant young man. And it's amazing that whilst we talk about what makes professional boxing, how he hasn't fought any real boxers, it's amazing to think just how much money he's made in the sport already. Um, we often talk about boxers going to the sport to make money. I can't think of anyone who's made as much with his little talent as Jake Paul has. What a credit <laughs> to the sport. Oh, America. America is, it's, uh, it's the land of opportunity, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's the Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin. Asianboxing.info is the website. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day. If you're a YouTube star, maybe you can go and make some money as well, like Jake Paul. Have a Merry Christmas. And if you don't celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever it is, have a great, great holiday season with your family. Scott, I hope you have a great one as well, filled with, of course, a lot of chocolate. But until then, we will talk to you next time.